listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today on the program, we have Jennifer Potter. Jennifer is the VP of Sales and Business Development at Radio America. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to have you on. I know the first time we met was at a Sounds Profitable event actually in Austin, and um, it was great to hear about your history with Radio America. I'm curious, before we get too deep into our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about Radio America and what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Radio America is a syndicated national radio network. We've been around since the beginning of the early 80s. A really fun fact about Radio America is that we used to have offices that were not too far from the White House. And President Reagan actually gave his presidential addresses from the network when he was in office. Wow. In fact, our founder, Jim Roberts, an amazing man. And we today are carrying on that legacy and creating radio and podcast content that focuses on cultural and political commentary shining a light on some of the issues that are shaping America today. That's kind of our focus. Wow, that's so amazing. What I love about you in particular is that you have been at Radio America for 19 years. And I feel like a lot of the conversations I have, obviously, I've talked to people who've been, you know, at one place for many years, but I think 19 years definitely takes the prize. And for me, that is so interesting for our conversation today because you've been able to see the development of how, you know, we've got this strong terrestrial radio base, but we're also transitioning a lot of audio listening into podcasts. So I guess I'm kind of curious right now at Radio America, what percentage of your business is radio-based as opposed to podcast-based? Those are great questions. So to start back, as far as the size of the, the business, it's about half radio and half podcasting right now. We break it down by revenue. The radio side is very interesting because we have a lot of weekend programs that are syndicated. They're smaller niche shows. People come to us to help us have them syndicate these shows or they have us help syndicate the shows for them. And then we have two um, daily programs that are really big, which is Dana Lash and Chad Benson. So they kind of make the wheelhouse of the radio portion. And then on the podcasting side, which is growing exponentially as most people know, we have the Chicks on the Right and Sarah Carter. Todd Herman, Three Martini Lunch, and a, a whole slew of others. Well, three or four others, actually, not a ton, but we're growing in that direction. So, Jennifer, it sounds like you guys have a good selection of podcasts. And I know that, you know, when I was just looking more into the company, it looks like you have some content that is terrestrial radio and then some content and also has a podcast, but then you have content that is just a podcast. So, it really seems like you guys do it all. Is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. We do have a crossover with both radio and also on podcasts. And then also just standalone podcasts that are also, we have a couple that are audio only, but we have a fair number. One of our biggest shows, The Chick from the Rate, is a simulcast. So they have a video component on YouTube. They broadcast live daily on Facebook. So we very much have our hands in all the different areas. Um, when we're looking at the digital landscape outside of just radio alone Mm -hmm. um, in the podcast industry. 
Wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize that you had that other kind of video portion as well. I just think it's so fascinating how the content is kind of being more wide, widely distributed. And there are so many places now that you can distribute content. So it's it's interesting when we think about that. And I know uh, you and I are both aligned on the fact that these folks are influencers and they're out there really forming strong bonds with their audience. But it's really neat to see that they can reach their audience in radio. They can reach their audience on podcasts, Facebook, YouTube, right? It's all, all around. So I'm curious, though, when you think about that endorsement piece, I love to always go back to this idea that radio ads first started with endorsement host read ads, right? And that was a big part of how radio ads were done, if not the whole part of how they were done. And then we got into what we would now think of as radio ads today. At Radio America, are you still doing a fair number of those host read ads and those endorsement ads on terrestrial radio? Absolutely. That's the core of our business. I would say that it probably represents close to 75 or 80 percent of the advertising business that we do on the network. So, yeah, we very heavily lean into the endorsement advertising. And I think that that has has lent itself, at least for me, from a sales standpoint, to be able to enter into this new podcasting space from an advertising standpoint and be really successful with host endorsement ads. And so I was able to take that template and just shift it over to podcasting because in so many ways, it is exactly the same. The method for delivery is obviously different. The way that we can tweak content before it's published there's a little bit of a nuance there. But for the most part, the things that make an endorsement campaign successful are no different for radio than they are in podcast. Okay, so that was going to be one of the big questions I had for you about that is you don't really see that there is a big difference. So tell me where you see the similarities. The similarities, like I think that there are some core things that you kind of have to, and I, I think of it as a check the box. When a brand comes to us and says, I really want to advertise on, on one of your radio shows. And the very first thing, and you guys, I'm sure you do this with your clients as well. You're looking at, does the host have an excitement about the product or the service? Are they excited about using it? Will they use it? Will they be able to talk about their personal experience? Mm-hmm. That is the foundation, in my opinion. If you don't have that piece of the puzzle, then the ability for you to be successful is going to be a lot more challenging. So that is the key component that we look at. And that's the thing that I learned through so many years of trial and error in the radio side, is that if we had that to start with, the chance of the campaign actually being successful, if we could put all the other pieces together, was very, very high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's great to hear. And it really does boil down to that authenticity, right? When the person doing the ad read really believes in the product that they're talking about, all of that enthusiasm and genuine interest that the host has in the product is going to translate out into the things that they say and get the audience excited about the product. So I I feel like that's really fascinating. Now, I know that you guys do focus a lot with these endorsement reads on the direct response piece. And I don't know if the endorsement and direct response elements just go hand in hand, but I'm curious, how are you tracking results 
across the board because, you know, one of the things that I've talked about on the show, but I also feel really strongly about is that we all come from this traditional media background, right? That's where advertising came from. And when I sold radio ads, you know, many years ago, we didn't know exactly who was listening, right? Arbitron was really arbitrary. And we did our best guess to tell you who was listening. And I really feel like with podcasts, we do know much better who is listening than I think, you know, in some instances we know with radio. But ultimately, we're still looking when we're creating these campaigns for a response and to get, you know, a return for the advertiser's investments. How are you tracking those conversions? What's working in both, I guess, radio as well as podcasts? That's a really, really great question. And I will admit right out of the gate, coming from the radio side where you hit the nail on the head, we haven't really had the same kind of metrics and the technology and the ability to really drill down on the audience in the same way that we do podcasting. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's been a learning process for me in the last couple of years, because now suddenly there's all this technology and this data and I'm like, I have to really lean into this because and, and know that we have to learn the new technologies behind it. But on the radio side, and we're very unique, for many, many years, we have not subscribed to Arbitron. As you know, in the radio world, it was very cost prohibitive mm-hmm. for a lot of smaller networks, very expensive. Yeah. So we, we really focused on the affiliates, being able to show what big markets we were in, and then most importantly, being able to show success from other advertisers. Mm-hmm. All the things that I look for and concentrate on with our radio advertisers is to have annual contracts that get year after year after year because we have dialed it in and we've created an efficiency for the client between the rate and the frequency and all the moving parts to make sure that we're delivering results. Part of that is having partnerships with our advertisers where they can share those direct results with us in a really transparent way that allows us to do our job because on my side, I really don't have visibility on the radio side. And that makes it very challenging. We really have to trust our partners that they're giving us accurate information. And I can I can honestly say I have a ton of really great relationships with agencies and direct-to-business clients. And they know that when they come to me and say, a campaign is truly not working, I'm going to take them at face value. I'm going to tweak what I need to tweak. And if we see success, I know that they're going to continue. Mm-hmm. And building those relationships on the radio side is really what we had to focus on rather than the really analytical metrics that now we have in the podcasting world, which is mind-blowing to me. And sometimes I'm like, if it works, it works. <laughs> I have to dig into the numbers. Like, but I get it. it. It's an exciting time to be on the forefront of that. Um, and I will just mention really quickly, we just entered into um, an agreement of relationship with Podscribe. Um, they're going to be helping us to really be on the cutting edge of this so that we can provide numbers and services and tracking and all that stuff for our clients and really be on the forefront of all the exciting things that are coming in that regard. Yeah, that that's awesome. And I do agree with you. Ultimately, if we see success, we see success. And, you know, I know we got a question recently from an advertiser about something that where the numbers looked a little bit off and we said, well, how is the campaign performing? And they said, it's performing great. And ultimately, you kind of have to say, well, then what are we talking about exactly, right? If the campaign is performing well, sometimes the numbers can look a little strange. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of that can have to do with 
where we're at with ad tech in the podcast space, because we do have so many new tools that are being developed and sometimes they're not as accurate potentially, right, as we want them to be. So are you using with radio, do you use the same kind of promo codes and unique URLs? Ultimately, is that what the advertiser is using to track success? Yes. And you actually bring up a really good point. That is one of the ways on radio. We, I mean, I pretty much had kind of a rule that you've got to have a promo code. You have to have some sort of offer. It has to have some sort of trackability. Right. And we have on the radio side, we're moving away from like the 800 numbers. Unique URLs do really well. Promo codes do well. I would prefer not to work with an advertiser who doesn't want to spend the time to do that kind of tracking because then how do we know if it really worked or not? And and not that we turn away any business, but I want to lead people to the most success possible. So we have some pretty stringent guidelines on the radio side on making sure that we have those pieces that we know work in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So now I'm curious, obviously audio is audio. And if you're an audio listener, I always think of myself. I started to be honest, in my early 20s, listening to talk radio, which now I think I was probably an anomaly at that time. Most early 20s don't listen to talk radio, did you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love talk radio. I listen to it way more than I listen to music. And then it was obviously a very natural progression for me personally to move into listening to podcasts because I like to talk so much. But we do see that the demographics of terrestrial radio listeners, especially talk, is going to be different than podcast listeners. And It has been a while, admittedly, since I've looked into the demographics of the terrestrial talk radio listener, but I would presume that you're talking really like a 45 plus, primarily maybe 60, 40 male, female, whereas with podcasters, it's a very different demographic. Usually it does tend to be kind of that 25 to 45 or maybe 55. So you're you kind of got both ends of the spectrum. If an advertiser is looking to create a campaign that that is on both terrestrial radio as well as podcast. Do you feel like, I guess that's a good fit? And um, if so, why is that a good fit for an advertiser? Yeah, that's a really great question. So the one show that we do have that is radio and podcast that has a podcast audience that's significant enough that actually drives results for a direct response is uh, Dana Lash. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that the demographics for her show, and I think it has more to do with content than it does method of delivery. It almost mirrors, except that, the, again, the podcast audience is a tiny bit younger um, for radio to podcast. So we find that the male-female breakdown is the same. We find that radio for her is 45 plus, like you were saying, or podcasting is 35 plus. Hmm. Differences there aren't so great, I think, mm-hmm. the content and the kind of audience that she's attracting that we haven't come across any issues with having those audiences be so different that we wouldn't be able to say, this makes sense for a brand. We actually have a campaign coming up here, I believe in September, where we're really going to be leaning in and testing to see what kind of lift we can get from using the radio and the podcast. So the verdict is still out, I think, for a lot of people. And as we know from our days in the radio, Heather, it's all about testing. And thankfully having really good partners who are willing to go on that journey with us and know that we're all going to work together to have it be successful. Yeah, no, for sure. That's absolutely a really good point. And it is definitely about testing. But I love that her podcast is just dipping, you know, really slightly lower in age because how great for her to be able to tap into that audience. 
that maybe would never listen on AM talk, but would listen. I mean, and maybe she's on FM talk. I don't know, but um, who would probably not listen to the radio, but who is happy to listen to her podcast. Yeah, it excites me because it allows us to expand that audience. Mm -hmm. I am going to be very candid. I'm in my mid-40s. And I think about people my age and younger all the time. And we just don't consume media the same way that the older demographic does. And so Lena being on, and she is on quite a few FM stations. And and it sounds funny to say this, but nowadays a lot of the EM stations have FM translators. So everything can be found on the FM dial for the most part. But there's just, you know, there's still a demographic of younger people who want it to be on demand. They want to do it while they're, in that car. They don't want to be on the same kind of schedule. I think it's the same reason why we've seen the TV services like Netflix and Hulu. Like this is the listening pattern that people right. want. We don't want to have to be on a cable TV schedule. I got to be home at seven to see the show, or I got to tune into Dana at noon or 1230 on my drive to here or there. Like they want that freedom. And so now we're able to reach a bigger audience than we were before. And Dana is unique in a sense, too, because the radio show and the podcast are the same. And I know that many years ago when podcasting, I wouldn't say it was first coming out. It was definitely there. But there was um, a thought that anything that was repurposed from radio wasn't going to get as much traction in podcasting. And I can say that we haven't found that to be true. Um that it expanded that audience for the very reason you're talking about. We hit a little bit of a younger demographic that wasn't going to listen to her on radio anyways. Right. And I'm curious, and this might be getting too much into the weeds, but when you repurpose the content, I personally think that one of the issues with repurposing radio content is that there's a lot of radio stations out there that literally take the entire file and put it on a podcast instead of editing it down and making it like, yeah, it's the same, it's the same content, but we took the breaks out and we even took out the parts where she says, okay, we're going to a break. We'll be back in 10 minutes or whatever. Right. Like, so are you guys editing those advertisers out when you put it on the podcast? We absolutely are. We curate the content to make it shorter because she has a three hour radio show. So that would be, I mean, it already is a fairly long podcast. Um, and then something else that we did a couple of years ago to test it out and see how it worked is we created a, basically a highlights reel of the repurposed radio show with some benchmark segments that Dana does every day to have a shorter version that if people didn't have the 45 minutes or an hour to spend on the full show podcast, they could go to what we call Dana's Absurd Truth and they could still get their daily dose of Dana and we could utilize that audience. And what we found is that it doubled the downloads for the podcast. So originally, I think, 16,000 that we were getting a day, it doubled that number. It gets the same amount of downloads as the show does almost identically, which is really interesting. That is so interesting. I love that. But so to me, that's where the real power is, right? Is that you're taking the content, it's all audio content, but you're saying, okay, where is this at, right? It's, you wouldn't take your your terrestrial radio program and broadcast it live on Facebook Live, right? Like it, at a different time it would just feel weird. And in the same way, taking terrestrial radio and just making a copy and putting it out as a podcast, it doesn't work. So you do have to repurpose content to make it fit. And it sounds like you guys have found the key to doing that, which is really exciting. Yeah. Well, and it's so awesome. I mean, you think about the medium as a whole, we have so much control. Absolutely. 
you have so much control over how do the ads sound? Like we want to make sure that it sounds as seamless and is as good a, a listening experience for the audience as it can be, especially because podcasts is such an intimate medium. As we know, people are listening to headphones. It's, it is consumed differently in that sense than radio. To make one the same, yeah, absolutely wouldn't make sense. So we put in a lot of effort to make sure that it is curated specifically for podcasts. We could take out the advertising breaks and all of that. And then if we have advertisers who want to be in there, we put them in with different right. Usually the same call to action, depending since you're packaging them together. But yeah, we put a lot of thought and effort into that. And, and it's worked so far. That's great. So just to clarify, even like with this campaign that you have coming up, where they have a terrestrial radio ad and they have a podcast ad and the same company is running on the same in the same content, essentially, will you record totally separate ads for both the radio and the podcast? Yes. Yep. And what I like to do in that case, and this is just something that I've found over the years, and this again comes from my radio experience, when you have to have, so radio will be obviously live. Mm -hmm. um, there will be a future recorded that are in there for frequency, but it'll be traditional live and content. And then for the podcast, we'll have her record new live reads. And what I like to do is have her record two or three that mm -hmm. sound live, and then we rotate them evenly. Great. That way we have to record a new spot every day, but that we have some sort of, I love that rotation of two or three live spots yeah. so that it doesn't sound stale. It doesn't sound pre-recorded. It gives you a little bit of that authentic live feeling mm -hmm. and the audience seems to respond really well to it. The campaigns that I've done that with have performed better than the campaigns that we didn't do that with. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that piece of having the same ad over and over that people hear, I mean, nobody likes that, right? Like we don't like that when we listen. So why would the audience? So I think that that's really smart. You're doing that. Yeah, and you get away with it once or twice. And then yeah. you're like, oh, okay, now I'm fast forwarding. I mean, you're, right. you're right. asking to actually take action to not hear the ad when you inundate them with the same ad over and over. And, and that's probably my personal opinion more than <laughs> I think of my habit. What do I do when I'm listening to a podcast? No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Now, one of the things that I find really unique about Radio America is that you definitely have a political stance that you're taking. And I know we talk on the show a lot about brand safety. I know advertisers are really concerned about brand safety. And at Radio America, you guys are taking a stance. You do have content that could be perceived as maybe not being brand safe, depending on where that company aligns or where they stand. I also have heard from many advertisers that conservative talk in particular performs exceptionally well. So I guess I'm, I'm just kind of curious, how do you position the content and find the advertisers and operate within that brand safety uh, space? That is a really great question. And it's one that we think about a lot on our end. And I'll be, you know, really forthcoming there. As this became a bigger topic of concern in the last three years, there was some pullback from some of the agencies that I had worked with for many, many years. Mm. And it bought our content on radio. They knew that it performed well. And, and there was a shift in the industry. So I'm not blaming them in any way, shape, or form. And But internally, I had to really start thinking about, you know, why is this shift happening? And what do I need to do to be proactive to change the perception about our content? Because 
you know, I talk about conservative content. Yes, it's conservative, but we tend to think of it as more of right of center mm-hmm. because some people think of that connotation and they think far, far right. Right. And when you actually look at the content of our shows, it's it's much more in the middle. And I think that a lot of people can agree that that's where the majority of people are. Sure. The really interesting thing about podcasting in general, like we have decided not to spend too much energy overthinking it because we know that the content is safe. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about podcasting that makes me so excited about the space as a whole is that the listening is super intentional. So for brands that are out there and they're thinking about this, if you think about that audience, they've intentionally gone to this podcast. They're choosing to listen. They're choosing to engage. They're choosing to be a part of that community. And the reason they're doing that is because that host or that creator is presenting content in a way that is like-minded to their values and their views. So whether you agree with them or not, does that make it not safe? Not necessarily. Now, and we all know we don't want racist language. There are some definitely no-go zones. Sure. And we would that fully. And we would hold our hosts and our creators to all of those very common sense standards. When we met at um, that event in Austin, and Sounds Profitable was releasing that study about sound and safe, or safe and sound, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I found that that was so interesting when they really leaned into and talked to, talked about the fact that the audience is less easily offended. And the reason really being behind that is because people are choosing the content that they listen to. They're not being forced. They're not turning on the radio in the car with their kids in the backseat and hearing Howard staring back in the day, ranting and cussing about whatever. They're choosing to dial into a specific podcast for a specific reason. And I admit something that brands have to remember is that the audience is there for a reason. And they're very, very passionate. I absolutely love that because I think you are spot on with it. And I'd never really thought about it in that way. But my husband and I don't always quite align. I'm just not a person that uses expletives. I was not raised to, you know, use expletives. And that's just who I am. My husband doesn't quite fall in that category. And so... He'll listen to things and I'm like, what are you listening to? I cannot, like, I just cannot listen to that kind of stuff. It doesn't jive well with me personally, but obviously it jives well with him and he's totally cool with it, right? And so I do think that that is such a good point is that we are selecting the content. And again, that for me gets back to the power of podcasts just in general, right? Is that it is intentional listening. People are there for a reason. And and I mean, terrestrial radio as well, right? Like they are there because they want to be there and they're there because they're listening. And I think that that is just such a great point is they are not offended or they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be listening to what is being said. And so I do think that that's a really interesting perspective. It is one of the most exciting things I think about podcasting because I think that can also translate to results for brands. So the way I think about it is if you have a content or content that has really strong views, Mm -hmm. then you have this really strong, engaged audience. And that translates to really strong results for the advertisers. And in in my opinion and my experience, it also translates to a customer base that is exceedingly loyal 
Mm-hmm. We're talking about people who've come to a podcast and they use the chicks on the right for an example. They have a very female audience and they're very relatable. They're very funny. They're very personable. I mean, the name for some people would kind of turn them off, but I would encourage anybody to actually listen to them. They're more funny than they are really hardcore political in any sense. And they give you the feeling when you're listening to them that you're just kind of sitting in your kitchen, chatting with your girlfriends about whatever's going on in the news that is utterly ridiculous in your opinion, in your views. And you're there because you share those views and those values. And they've created this crazy, super engaged community Mm -hmm. because they've brought in these people who are like-minded. So again, they bring this passion. Then these passionate listeners come on board, become a part of this passionate, engaged community. And doesn't every brand want to have those passionate customers? Right. People who are loyal to a brand for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this real strength. And I think that, that, and this is not to say that other forms of talk, whether it's conservative or on the other side of the aisle, when you come and you bring people together and they have strong views and values, they tend to have really strong results for advertisers, in my experience. That's what we saw on talk radio for years and years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I also think that there is an element when you feel strongly about your beliefs, you're listening to someone who's talking about their beliefs and you both are on the same page and then an advertiser comes, then you say, oh, well, this advertiser is kind of in our club, right? Like they agree or they they feel similar or they wouldn't be advertising here. And so I do think that there is something to be said for that as well. And that creates a level, as you said, of brand loyalty. I think it creates a lot of conversions for those brands. And so I feel like advertisers shouldn't shy away from extreme shows, whether, as you said, they're on the left or on the right, or maybe they're not even a political topic at all, but they're people who are really passionate about something because that does, that engagement piece is really the piece that is going to create results for advertisers. And I can see why brands feel like they need to be safe. And I know, obviously, the bigger you get in a company, the harder it is for them, right? Procter & Gamble certainly doesn't want to, like, pick a side or identify with something that's too extreme, right? I mean, I get that. But for mid-level brands, which a lot of companies fall into those categories, I think really working with those passionate, engaged audiences can be really great for advertising results. Yeah, I absolutely agree. and. One of the tools, and you're talking a little bit about analytics in the podcasting industry and how different that is from radio. Mm -hmm. One of the tools that we are implementing so that we can talk to these brands. And and I always say, it's like the old saying, you know, trust but verify. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm telling you that our content is not extreme, that it is brand safe um, in the right of center conservative space. But we have great partnership now with Barometer. And they've actually come in and rated all of our shows. Being able to use a third party like that to kind mm-hmm. of read brands that you're not, you don't just have to take my word for it. Right. That doing things to make sure that we can prove and, we, and that we know ourselves that the content isn't crossing over into an area that's not going to be good for our partners. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't even matter in my sense, in my mind, to a partner who maybe has embraced, let's say, conservative media. And they're like, yeah, we're fine with that. If the host decides to go in a different direction, not just for one episode, but let's say that they just have like a shift, we need to be aware of that shift so that we can be protective of our partners. 
that has never happened in my 19 years of experience. But I think that if we're going to be taking good care of our partners that we have now and attracting new ones who can trust us, we need to be consciously working to make sure that that the whole machine is flowing together and that we're all looking after everybody's best interests. So having Broadwater on board for us was a way to hopefully get rid of some of the misconceptions about the content being super far right. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we were really excited about is that in their comparison to other commentary shows such as Pod Save America, this is an example, Radio America's inventory or podcasting was actually less risky. So they have stats like that to go to advertisers who may see the name Jicks on the right and instantly go, do we really want to go there? To know that the content is safe and that it's, and it's so funny to go back to, you know, podcasting being intentional. What is safe and who decides it's safe? Yes. We are yes. And when it, somebody is intentionally listening to it, their version of, of what is safe is going to be different, obviously. But I don't see it backlashing on brands i see same as you i see the concern but because of that intentionality piece i think that all of the content no matter what it is is a whole lot safer for brands than they may sometimes feel yeah yeah i love that perspective thank you so much for sharing that jennifer because i i don't disagree with you so now shifting our focus a little bit What are some mistakes that you have seen advertisers make in the past? You know, think back maybe to a time where you worked with an advertiser or maybe just a group of advertisers over the years where you're like, oh, my goodness, like this campaign's kind of destined to fail because we don't have these these pieces in place. Yeah, you know, I would say one of probably the biggest ones that I think about a lot is a really strong call to action. Yes. Got to have copy that motivates the audience. And, and when we talk about live reads, which is a huge percentage of what we do, the host is responsible, not responsible, but their ability to personalize and, like we said, make the reads genuine and authentic can, can make the difference. If you can have bad copy and have them do them, do their thing, and it'd be great. But if you don't have a strong call to action with a really solid offer that intrigues people to go by and hits all those like psychological buttons to get people to the website, and then you have good conversion on the website, then all the other stuff can be for not. Mm-hmm. The host can work the product until the cows come home. But if you don't have those other pieces in the pie there, then how are you ever going to know whether it succeeded or whether it failed? Yeah. That matter. Yeah, for sure. Well, and one of my pet peeves that I cannot say often enough is the call to action needs to be unique in some way from the pop-up window that you get when you go on the website. If you're offering a 15% discount on the podcast and I go on your website and I can get 20% off, or if I can just click the promo code with a click of a button and paste it and it's a great offer, that is going to skew results. So you really do have to put some effort into making sure that the call to action is strong. I also think that like we talked about An initial campaign is where you are learning, right? And so it's very possible because I understand that as companies increase in size, there are a lot of complexities and just pulling some random offer up and and putting that in a podcast can be challenging. But if you can use something that is more unique, at least at the beginning of a campaign, let's say for that initial run, or maybe it's the first six month run, something 
so that you can say, oh yeah, I know I'm getting results. And then after that, once you know you're getting results, then it's okay if things kind of all get thrown into the wash together and blend together as long as you know the podcasts are working. But you can't have a poor offer and then say, well, it didn't work when really what didn't work was your offer didn't work, not the medium. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. Having something to differentiate it in the beginning mm-hmm. so that you could really know whether or not it's working. And I, I same boat, I completely understand that for some brands, that's a lot of heavy lifting to do that for every single podcast that they're on. And it may not make sense, but I think that the results and the long-term ROI that they're going to get, knowing that their dollars are being spent wisely is well worth the time and the effort to do it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. If someone were going to get into podcast advertising for the first time, what are some recommendations that you would have for them? Oh, that is a great question. I, I, one of the things that I think is so important, and I think this is important from the brand side, and it's also important from the network side for people who are in a sales position, you have to get the right fit between the audience and the brand. Mm-hmm. And audience to me also equals content. Because your audience is a direct reflection of what that content is, whether it's demographics or whether it's the values or whether it's the community that they've created and how engaged they are. I think that they're kind of symbiotic in a lot of sense. So if you take the time to really match the brand with the audience, you're going to see more success, more times than not. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball. Completely wish I did. But sometimes we have campaigns and we do everything right and we don't know why they don't work. But Thankfully, that's few and far between, but really looking at that connection and making sure that that's, that is well tuned Mm -hmm. and that you're not afraid to walk away from something that's not a great fit. Mm -hmm. If you find something, you're like, no, but I really want to make this work. Where you come into it with, I just, I really want to do this show because I really like this host. If the audience doesn't fit your brand, it's not going to be successful. And we even relate that, you know, circling back to the brand safety part of it to that as well, because yeah. Again, audience equals content. If your brand doesn't fit that audience, it doesn't fit that content, then is it really suitable for your brand? Those are things that should be considered. And on the sales side, we should also be okay when we look at a brand and it doesn't fit and we know it doesn't fit to say, I don't think this is the right fit. And right. be okay with it. Yeah. not be afraid. Not to say that we want to turn away business, but I would rather turn away business that I know that's not going to work and lead them to somebody else where I know they could have some success, then put it on just for the sake of putting it on. Yeah, I totally agree with you because ultimately we're trying to create long-term relationships, not just like, hey, try this once and then, oh, it didn't work. And if that match isn't there, they're not going to see conversion. So that, in my opinion, that's one of the very most important pieces of the campaign is there has to be a match. And then, like you said earlier, the host has to be excited about the product. So when you can get those two pieces aligned. I think that those are really important kind of cornerstones. Now, just kind of thinking about where we're headed as an industry, do you feel like you have any predictions or any thoughts about where podcasting is headed? Do you feel like we're going to get to a place where people aren't listening to the radio and they're really just all in on podcasting? What are your thoughts about where we're headed? Yeah, so that is a great question. And I would love to make <laughs> accurate prediction. That's hard to do. I think that the listening is going to continue to shift. I think 
radio is never going to go away. I used to say this before podcasting was actually a thing. Like people would say, well, radio is going to go away someday. It's like, well, they said the same thing when TVs came out. Like, oh, radio is going to die. Radio will never die. But podcasting has the potential because of its ability for anybody really to have a podcast, to launch it on YouTube, to have an RSS feed, like to do all these things. Like the ability to create content is so great that we only have up to go from here and it's only going to get better. One of the things that I hope doesn't happen is that we don't get to a point in the podcast industry where we take ourselves too seriously and that <laughs> oh man went big radio back in the day i know and it's true that even it, it's about the individual shows it's about the connection and the community engagement and all podcasts no matter what size they are have the ability to drive those results you don't just have to be laser focused on the monster podcast and there's going to be little nooks and crannies of shows that are going to produce tremendous results for brands and they shouldn't be forgotten because of, you know, the idea that if we could just get tonnage, then we can cover all of our bases. Yeah. I think we'll need to remember that there's these amazing independent creators and don't overthink it and don't take ourselves too seriously, hopefully. So it's more yeah. of a prediction as much as just a statement, but <laughs> I hope that's where we don't go. Yes. Yeah. I do agree with you. I have to say, I started in radio and then I moved to newspaper and I was like, oh my gosh, talk about taking yourself very seriously. <laughs> newspaper was very, very serious. Radio was a whole lot more fun. And right now I agree, podcasting is a lot of fun. And, and one of the other things that I feel like people don't see that are looking in is how supportive the podcast community really is. I think as an industry, we're all trying to work together to create a better product for advertisers, to create better tools for content creators, to create better distribution options and search options, right? I mean, there's so many people trying to solve so many, you know, problems in the podcast space, but it feels like everyone is very supportive of growth within the industry and, and supportive of one another, which I really respect that a lot. So it's it's been a fun industry to be in. And it sounds like you agree with that. Oh, I absolutely agree. There is definitely a time that came in the, you know, when we were just radio where it did, it felt like we we're a little bit on an island. And I have to honestly say we got introduced to Brian and Tom from Sounds Profitable. And I was like, oh, there's people and they're nice. They wouldn't help. And not everybody is just like super competitive radio reps where they're like, don't touch my business. Like, it was just it was really, really refreshing. And it made me really excited. Last year was my first year at Podcast Movement. And it was just really eye-opening to see just, I don't know, people on partnerships and everybody like working together, just like you said, just it, that made me really excited about this side of the industry and the fact that our company is getting ready to launch the digital division later this year, which I can't say too much about now, but that's where it's headed. Because for me, it's about the content. It's about the creation. It's about this super impact that we can have with brands through the endorsements. That's what I love the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. And if people want to reach out to you and connect with you, where is a good place for them to find you? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. Profile is Jennifer Shirley Potter. 
Um, you can also email me at jshirley at radioamerica.com. Happy to share all of our success stories. We have had a lot of success and I feel very fortunate to work with the creators that we have because they've worked extra hard to create communities, whether that's on radio or podcast and just excited to see results for the partners that we work with. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you have thought about brand safety differently because of this episode, I think we've won. So I'm really interested to hear anyone's thoughts about that. Please share them with me. And if you'd like to learn more about podcast advertising, head on over to truenativemedia.com and download our podcast ad guide. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 